Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Today's scripture reading is taken from chapter 2 of 1 John, verses 3 to 11, and then verses 15 to 17. You can follow with me on the screen. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message that you've heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of God lives forever. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, church. A uh, couple of months ago, I had an opportunity to do something that uh, I hadn't done before, which was speak to uh, a group of high school students from two private schools uh, in York Region. And I was not coming there sort of in a faith-based context, but just simply to talk to them. I had been asked to come to speak to them about relationships, about sexuality, and about friendship, and how they interact uh, as high school students in in a world that they live in. And uh, what I said to them was that there are, there are three words that are, uh, as far as I can tell, a big and important, important words in our culture that are important words in the high school context that we are talking about in education. And one of them is tolerance, and the other one is equality, and the other one is consent. And these are being uh, said, like, all of these three things are really important. Tolerance, especially when it comes to the fact that we live in, if not the, one of the most uh, ethnically diverse cities in the world that we need to be learning tolerance, racial tolerance, how we interact with people who come from different places that we do, who speak different languages, who have different customs, and what does it mean to be tolerant in places where we are allowed to coexist peacefully. And so tolerance is a really important word, and not just sort of ethnically, but people who think differently from you. And then equality is also a really important word in today's culture. First and foremost, between men and women, equal opportunity and treating each gender equally, but then also between different ages, you know, that, that we don't only, we're not only uh, not sexist, but we're not ageist either, that we don't favor the old over the young or the young over the old. And then also, again, with our ethnic diversity, that there is a, there's an equality between um, people, all people, no matter what their skin color or background is or education level. And then, of course, consent 
when it comes to sexual relationships, that consent is really important and that you, cannot, you should not make somebody do something they don't want to do or that you have to respect someone's no or someone's yes. And what I said to them is, look, those are all really important concepts and words and values, if I can use that word. Tolerance, equality, consent. But they're just not strong enough as ideas. Alone, they will not change the world. Tolerance, equality, consent will not create the world that you and I want to live in. Think about it in your own family. It's important to tolerate the members of your family. But if that's your only goal in respecting the differences of the people within your household, you will not have a thriving family. The same is true within marriage. The same is true within neighborhoods. In a sense, tolerance, equality, and consent, though vitally important, are too low of a bar to have the world that we want to have. We need something of a higher order, and you all know what that is. It's love. We actually need love. Love is the principle, the idea that is going to create or change or in, in the world that we want to have. Whether it's within marriages, within families, within neighborhoods, within workplaces, and within the world. And yet, even as I say that, there's a cynicism, or there should be a cynicism about it, because we, we don't really think that love is actually the solution for what's wrong within our marriage, for what's wrong within our family, what's wrong in our neighborhood, and what's wrong in our world. Certainly when it comes to things like political spheres or business, the word love just doesn't seem to apply and we can laugh at it. But that's partly because we use the word very casually. Some of you love chocolate. There's nothing against that. Some of you love cats, you know, but God will forgive that sin, okay? That's it. There's forgiveness in it, right? People, we throw the word love around. I love my dog. I love my cat. Or love lives in the realm of romantic comedies, like this world of romance or feelings. I remember a good friend of mine, he was describing to me this blind date that he had when he was in, like I guess he was in the first year of university and he was running one of those college pro painting businesses on the side and his sister had set him up with her friend. So she was a year older than him and he said, Vijay, I, I was in another part of the city running this painting business. I'm supposed to pick her up at 5.30. It's 5.30, I'm on a roof like somewhere, and I'm thinking, oh no, I'm in big trouble. So he said, I, I raced home, barely got changed, still had paint on me. I was an hour and a half late to pick her up. He said, so I am driving like a madman to get to this place. He said, I look over at her, she's like this, holding the handle. And he said, on top of that, the place I chose for us to go to a blind date, and maybe some of you just need to take notes at this point, it was, a, it was like a work party with all people he knew, nobody she knew. Then when he gets there, it was at this like one of these downtown sort of uh, areas, and he said, I realized I didn't have my wallet. So he said, I asked her, hey, do you want a drink? And then he's like, oh, can you buy them? So he said, I drove her there. She thought she was going to die. She's buying all the drinks. And then he said, on the way home, he said, like, I knew the night was terrible. He said, but then I, I had these, these kind of warm feelings in me, and I was thinking, is this love? So he said, the next day, I'm telling my dad everything that happened. I said, dad, but you know, despite all that, I was having these warm feelings, but it was mostly in my bum area. He's like, Jordan, that's the heated seats. 
that is his real name. Jordy, if you're listening, thank you for the fodder. Right? Is love more than just the feelings that we have? Like love lives in this realm. If it's not cats or chocolate, it's this world of romance. It's always interesting to me that the romantic comedies never, most rarely ever go on to like the marriage. They always end even before that because nobody believes there's love after that, right? It's just the falling in love part and the romance. And so therefore, when we look at the world that we live in, it doesn't cross our mind really, if we're honest, that love would actually be a solution. That love would actually create the world that we want. And yet it is what we need, but if we don't understand what it is, we won't know how to actually live in it and live out of it and bring it to a world that is desperate for more than just equity and tolerance and consent. The book study that we're in right now is 1 John, and we've called it the face of love because if you were to, I mean, if you were trying to boil down the essence of what we believe into one word, it would be love, right? It is the subject matter of almost every song we sing here on a Sunday morning. And even if you're new and even if you didn't know any of the songs, that would probably strike you. These are songs in a sense that are expressing our love for God and his love for us. And the book of 1 John, actually, if you were going to try to find a book about love, it has the highest mentions of the word love per word. Every 50 words in the book of 1 John is the word love. More than any book in the entire sort of library that is the scriptures. And so this is actually a guide for us to say, what does it mean to understand love? If love is what is the governing principle of the world, what has changed the world, the hope for to be the world that we want to be, if love is the thing that we need in all of our interpersonal relationships, in our workplaces, in the world that we live in, what does it mean to understand love according to God? And one of the disciples who wrote it for us is John. Now, John actually, interestingly, also wrote... Um, the gospel of John or one of the biographies of Jesus or the biography, the gospel of Jesus, according to John. Now, interesting in that book, John doesn't identify himself, except he says the disciple whom Jesus loved, which I think he just wrote it after all the other disciples were dead so that nobody could argue with him anymore. And so, yeah, that's who that is. They were like, we know you're talking about you, right? This, the whole, his perspective. And actually, if you read the, the gospel of John, it sort of sits quite different than the other three biographies of Jesus. And there's a lot of these themes in the gospel of John that we also find in this letter. And it's like, like John wrote this letter, first John, as a commentary on the biography or the life of Jesus. From the vantage point, Malcolm said last week, of someone who was so intimate in friendship with Jesus. This wasn't somebody writing an analytical, historical account. This is someone, it's like if you were writing a letter about someone that is closest to you in life and trying to convince someone of who they were. That's why John was writing this letter. Trust me, I know Jesus. I was with him. He said, I've seen him. I've touched him. I've heard him speak. I want to tell you about him. And so John's, the theme that John uses in a sense to describe his relationship with Jesus and who Jesus is, is the theme of love. So it's actually the place from where we're going to learn what is love and how does it actually work and operate in the relationships that I have and in the life that I live. And so Tony read briefly for us from this, and John is writing, and he, and he says this, whoever claims to live in him, in other words, whoever claims to live, follow Jesus, must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have said since the which you have which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. 
Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. What is John talking about here? How many of you ever had an experience where the church that you were a part of or the people that claimed to love God actually were very unloving? Put up your hand. Pretty much most of us in some way, bad church experience, right? Start a support group. That's what John's saying. He's talking to his community saying, listen, it's kind of like a diss track, you know, like I, the kids, they, they write diss track. You guys know what a diss track is? It's like when you write kind of a limerick or a song or whatever, dissing somebody else. It's not, it's not very nice. I mean, it's a, but it's a more sophisticated way. We used to just name call when I was a kid. Now we write whole songs. So I guess it's promoting creativity in one sense. This is John saying, listen, like, you love God, really. You say you love God, but you don't love your brother or sister. You're in darkness, man. You're not in the light. Right, so he's saying, he's saying like, you, you claim, if you claim to love God, you're claimed to being in the light because God is love and God is light. But you don't love your brother or sister, so how does that work? There's something wrong with this picture. And there's so many people actually who are outside the church who say, I never want to be a part of it again because of this very issue. But let's be honest, we've all experienced it and we've all, and then if you have said, I haven't experienced it, that's because you were the one what I'm saying, right? Like we've all actually been in a part of this experience where as the people who say they love God do not actually love each other. And John's putting his finger on it saying, this is a problem with this. There's a problem with how you're understanding love. And then he says, I'm not giving you a new command. I'm giving you an old command, which you have heard from the beginning. What does he mean the beginning? He doesn't mean the beginning of the world. He means the beginning of the new world where Jesus came and lived and died and rose again and now has changed our lives forever. He says, when that started, that was a new life, a new beginning. And he says, at that time, there was a command that was given to you and it was the command that actually Jesus had given them. And John, later on in this book, as you'll find, goes on to iterate this command five more times. These words, he says that Jesus said, remember guys, Jesus gave us this command. He says it five more times in the rest of the book. Well, what was the command? What's he talking about? He said, this was that you had from the beginning, this whole thing about love. Remember this command. What I'm telling you is not new. It's old. As in Jesus said it from the beginning, when everything changed for us, when the church started, when the community of Jesus followers started, Jesus gave us a command. And that command is actually found in John 13, the biography John wrote about Jesus. And this is Jesus talking. A new command, Jesus is saying, I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus was saying to them, this was a conversation he had with his disciples right, he was, right before he was about to die, but right when he was starting the church and he said, listen, I'm giving you a new command, love each other. As I have loved you, love each other. Now, the word command would have meant something to these Jewish followers. Because when God had formed his people hundreds and hundreds of years before, he gave them 10 commands, right? Have you seen, read about the 10 commandments? Maybe you saw Charlton Heston, or whatever. Some of you are like, who's that dude? Don't worry, it wasn't that great of a movie. It's just, just a story about the 10 commandments. God saying, look, these are the ways I want you to live. 
Now, what's so interesting about the commandments that Israel had, 10 turned into 600, literally. They had over 600 commands that were, which is what people do with religion, right? Like God gives us 10, we, we say, no, there's got to be more than that. Like keep the Sabbath. Well, what do you exactly mean? What are we supposed to do? What can you not do? And so they had actually 38 different laws for what you weren't and weren't were allowed to do on the Sabbath, which is the heart of religion. Saying, I don't really want to think about this. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. And so they end up with over 600 laws or commands that they were meant to follow and act. And what's interesting is, as Jesus comes into the world, he's approached by somebody. They would have remembered this as, as John is talking to them who said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest command? Now, the person asking this of Jesus was a religious person, a teacher of the law. They were the few people who actually, supposedly, kept all 600 commands. I mean, most of the rest of the Jewish people were like, we can't really do that. It was sort of a two-class system. It was the people who, you know, God seemed to love because they kept all of the 600 commands, and then there was the rest of us who were, you know, rounding down to 50 or 5 or something like that. And so this religious person comes to Jesus, kind of to test him and said, hey, Jesus, of all the 600 something, what are the greatest commandments? And John's audience would have remembered what Jesus said because what Jesus said was stunning. He said, actually, let me just give you two. Love God with everything that you have and love each other too. In fact, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, they're like, yeah, but who's my neighbor exactly, right? Starting to add more laws. Jesus said, no, no, it's actually, God gave you 10, then you turned it into 600. I'm just going to give you two. And then he says, every other command and every other way of life hangs on these two things. If you get these two things right, you will live well. And in fact, it wasn't even two, it was one, right? It was love. And it was two sides of the same coin. He says, love God with everything you have and love each other. And John is now saying in this letter, hey, if you say you love God, but you don't love each other, you don't actually love God. These two things are together. And if you get this, you'll get everything. How different is that than what religion is? Religion is actually need lots of rules. Tell me exactly what to do. Do this, push this button, pull this string, turn around three times, jump up, touch the ground, and God will love you. Jesus says, no, life with God is about love. You already know that. You know that anything meaningful in your life is about love. Love me with everything you have. Don't hold back from me. Don't be stingy and love each other. Now, why are these the two greatest commandments? Why did Jesus say this when he said, like, why? And essentially, think about this, Jesus answering the question, how are we supposed to live? What is life really about? First, he says, love God. Now, why should we love God? Maybe intuitively we think, well, you should love God because, you know, he'll zap you if you don't. Like, and maybe you grew up in a tradition like that. Oh, God is watching you. But that, was only, that wasn't like, God is watching you. It was like, God is watching you, right? I'm watching you. God's, I'm invoking God just to make sure you pay attention to what I'm saying, right? God loves you. You know, you better love him back or he won't love you, right? Like some of us say, why, why do I love God? Or maybe love for God was sort of given to you as this, well, you know, God's done a lot for you, hasn't he? I mean, really, like he created the world. Shouldn't you love, like this sort of like, duty or debt. You have to pay God back. You have to love him. Or maybe love for God was like, you know, in, when you'd see that one weird uncle you never saw most of the year and you were supposed to like hug them and love them. It was kind of like, and they're like pushing and you're like, yeah, but mommy smells like, you know, but it's just like, yeah, but hug him, right? Some of us had that kind of idea with God. God really wasn't talked about whenever he was. It's like, yeah, 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 go love him. And you're like, well, I don't understand this. I don't know God. Why would God say, 
that the most important thing was to love God. It sounds, he sounds like a megalomania. It sounds like completely prideful. Well, I think we have to sort of remember that like God doesn't need us to love him. You know, God doesn't need super fans, right? The most, the most popular musicians today are popular because people pay to go to their concerts and download their songs illegally, uh, right? Like, as soon as people stop going to see them, stop listening to them, stop talking about them, stop taking pictures of them, are they famous anymore? Are they glorious anymore? No. All the rest of the world needs fans to keep them alive, but God doesn't because God existed long before he had any fans. And if everybody in the world hated God, he would still be beautiful and glorious. We cannot take anything away from So why would God say as a command, love me? Because you are what you love or you become like what you love. If you obsess about, think about, dream about, pursue, crave, make sacrifices to get something which is not worthy of your love, you as a person will be diminished. If you love things that are lesser than you, you become more like them. But if you love, pursue, crave, desire, make sacrifices to move towards one who is beautiful, creative, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. If you pursue and desire to be with someone who is generous, who is kind-hearted, who is love, you will become more like him. Which is why the, the, the most kindest thing God could ever ask you and I to do is to love him. Because the more we love him, the more we become like him. And the more we become like him, what happens to the second command? The more we love one another. That's how love works. The more you love him, the more you become like him. The more you become like him, the more loving you are. If you love one who is, just think about this, it says God is slow to anger and abounding in love. If you love someone and pursue someone and desire to be with someone who is slow to anger and abounding in love, you will become slower to anger and more full of love. Who doesn't need that? That's why the most kind thing God could command you to do is to love him. And as you love him, you begin to love one another, which is why love is impossible without love for God. It is impossible, just an ideal, just a vain hope, just a naive sense of optimism. Only if our hearts are fixed on the one that we are becoming more like will we actually become more loving. Okay, well, so then what is love? Like, how does this work itself out in our lives? Well, John goes on in 1 John to actually describe what is not love, the opposite of love. And he says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. What is he talking about here? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. And what does he mean the world? Now he says, do not love the world. Does he mean don't love the earth? No, that's not what it means. Does he mean don't love people? We've already covered that. We're supposed to love people. So clearly he doesn't mean don't love the people of the world. The word, the world that, that John uses from Greek is cosmos, is where we get the, the, the word cosmos. But 
its best translation, actually, it's used a lot in the Gospel of John, too. The, the word cosmos means the system of the world. In other words, the way the world works. He says, don't love the system of the world you live in. Don't love the way this world works. And when we say, well, what, John, what do you mean? What is the way this world works? He goes on to use a word to describe it. He said, the world you live in, the system is not based on love. It's based on this other L word, lust. Lust is the opposite of love. Because lust is about you. He says, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. He says, the world operates on this principle. And tell me if this isn't true. It was true 2,000 years ago. You are the most important person in the world. Whatever you love to do, no one should tell you you shouldn't do it. Whatever you feel like doing, you should be able to do it, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, as if there's such a thing as that. If this relationship isn't working for you, move on because it's about your happiness. If you don't like this job, tell your employer to shove it because this is about you. Whatever you want to do. Why? Because you are the most important person in this world. As I said to you, when someone said once, we are all the stars of our own show, our own play, and everyone else is supporting actors or props. That is our default way. Isn't that the way the world works? This is why we don't have love in the world, because on the one hand, we say, oh yeah, love is a good thing, but our, actually our highest value in the way wor- this world works, the system of this world is, you are the most important person in this world, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. The greatest love of all is to love yourself. That's what we're told. Love you first, and he says that's what lust is, because when you love you first, this is not about like hating yourself or anything like that, but he says, if you If lust is the way this world works, and lust says you are first, and when you lust, everyone else becomes somebody to use for your own satisfaction. Everything else in the world becomes something to use for your own satisfaction because you are first. John says that's the opposite of love. That's why you can't love. And he says, don't love the system, the number one command of this world, which is you are first. He says, that's the opposite. Lust is actually about me and what I want. Lust is about loving you first. And if you operate on that principle, on that command of this world, he says, if you love what you desire, if what you desire and what you see and what you want is about your needs and you first, you cannot love. Because love is actually about loving someone other than you first. Who's first? He says, actually, it's a tie between God and others because they both go together. You love God, you will love others. Don't buy into the system of the world that you're in that says you are the most important person to love. Do you know when Jesus said this? When Jesus gave them this command? Love one another as I have loved you. He gave it to them in the upper room when they were gathered together, about to have the last meal, the last supper, and then he would go and die. But right before he told them this, love one another as I have loved you, John writes that this happened. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, And he was returning to God. In other words, Jesus knew there was no one greater than him. So he got up from the meal, 
took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And maybe you've heard this story before, or maybe you didn't know that this is something that Jesus did. But just for a moment to understand the, the stunning significance of this action. They lived in a time when there were no paved roads and where everyone wore open-toed shoes, open like they wore sandals. And so they walked around everywhere. There was no taxis or Uber or whatever, so they had dusty, dirty feet. And there were animals and children and people who lived on the streets, and so there would have been excrement on the ground. And so every time you came into someone's house, you were bringing your dirty feet, caked with crap and dust and dirt. Now, if you came in and you were someone of honor, and the host who was hosting you knew that you were a person of honor, they would have paid, even though it would have been costly for them to have a servant, or maybe they themselves would have brought a towel and a basin and washed your feet as a sign of showing we recognize that you are an honorable person coming into our home. So if you were in that place, you would have gotten your feet washed. Or if you were in a, just a wealthy home where they had the money to hire servants and people who would wash feet, but you would, again, be, you would actually have honor because you were coming into an honorable, beautiful place and you would be blessed by being a part of it. And so the person would kneel down and take off all of the stuff caked on your feet and wash your feet. And then you would enjoy the meal barefoot and clean. Or people who were disciples, who followed rabbis, right? Who followed teachers. The disciples would often wash the feet of the rabbi to show that they were committed to them, to show that they loved them, to show that they were devoted to them. And yet Jesus, they're all, imagine they're all sitting around and everyone's looking around and no one's assuming that anyone's feet are going to get washed because nobody important was in the room. And they were the only ones hosting. It was a room they borrowed. There was no rich person there to confer honor on them. And the disciples were not washing the feet of Jesus, who was their rabbi. And Jesus takes off his outer garment, takes a towel in a basin, and, takes, and washes the dirty feet of all of his disciples. In that moment, he would have been showing them incredible honor, incredible love and dignity. He would have been showing them something so mind-blowing that the rabbi would wash the feet of his followers. He would have been placing himself and his honor and his value lower than them because whoever was washing the feet was clearly of lesser value than the one whose feet were being washed. And so in that one act, Jesus does something incredible for them. And then after that, he gets up and he says, I'm giving you a new command. Love each other as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And John says, hey, if we want to live in love, we have to live as Jesus lived. We have to live as Jesus lived. And I was thinking about that for us as a community of Christ followers. And even if you're in the room and you say, well, I'm, I'm not a Christ follower, that you would understand this is actually what it means to follow Jesus because John says, for those who want to live in the light must live as Jesus lived and Jesus washed the feet of those around him. And he said, I am not putting myself ahead of anyone. I am actually going to place myself below others to lift them up. And in that one act, Jesus was not only meeting a practical need because they needed their feet washed, 
but he was actually giving them dignity and honor and using whatever power and honor he had in the service of someone else. And then he says, look, this is the new command. If you want to know how to live, love each other. As I have loved you, so love. When I was writing the message this week, I was really, really convicted. Um, the, the last couple of months, just well, in the season of our life as a church, it's kind of a complex season for us. It's new as we're now in two locations. And actually, Dave is meeting with the, the group in Bolton this summer. They're kind of, um, they're having launch gatherings every Sunday. So they're, which when we started actually at Upper Room, we met kind of period of time, over a period of time as we prepared to launch. So that's what Dave's doing with the Bolton congregation. And we're in a new season, and it's complex. And what I've noticed is I don't show my stress sort of outwardly, but I do show it when I'm at home. And even then, I don't even know when I'm stressed. But I noticed just kind of with my kids and my wife, I was just kind of being selfish. Like, for whatever reason, our kids were up a few times a lot more than they, than they, than they are now when, as they're a bit older. And I was like, oh, so happy for my wife to get up and not wanting to do it. And if they woke up, I was like, oh, I was annoyed. I noticed in me that some of my tone with them or some of the words, like, I'd be honest, like, I would never use the tone or words that I use with them with you. And that's not because I love you more than them. It's because I love me more than them. Right? I realize that, that in me, there's this inclination that this is my time or this is my space or you're an inconvenience to me in this moment or I'm annoyed because you're blocking a goal that I have. This is about me. I felt like you saying you have lust in your heart just for yourself and your life and all of the things that you think are important to you that are far more important than the people I put in your life. And if you can't even love them, <laughs> well, how are you going to love the world? Forget the world. Just start at home. Start in your own church. Start in your own community. And that's what John is kind of saying to the church, saying, hey, we have to love each other. We are brothers and sisters in a family. This begins right here. This is about loving those who God has put in our lives to say love them. Forget about love changing the world. It begins at home. It begins in our home church. It begins with the people who are right under your nose, who are right in front of you. Whether that's in your family unit, whether that's in this church, or whether it's in the workplace, you're in the people who are right in front of you. It's easy to criticize the prime minister. It's easy to criticize world leaders. It's easy to you know, criticize people out there and how they aren't loving and what a messed up world we have. And John says, hey, if you say you love God, but you don't love who's in front of you, who's next to you, your brother and sister, you have to ask yourself, do you really love God? Are you really in the light? And he says, if you're not, you're actually stumbling around in darkness. So this just kind of hit me between the eyes. I didn't really want to preach this message because it's true. It's just mostly indicting, saying, man, it begins right in front of me. And that's what Jesus said. What does it mean to actually serve and love those who are right in front of you? And so I want to give you just a couple of things to think about for those that are right under your nose. For some of you, you know, if you're married, maybe a next step for you is just actually wash your spouse's feet. Now, we don't live in a culture in a sense where we need that. But I know that's something that actually is an act of saying, can I just give you the time? Jen did this for me like a couple years ago, and then I did it for her after. And all I know was just I felt so valued and loved. It was actually just stopping long enough to like care. It wasn't a rush thing. It wasn't quickly done. It's like, oh, it's your birthday, so I'll, you know what I mean? 
it's something different. And so maybe for some of you, or if, if you have kids who are still young enough to let you do this, because once they get a certain age, they'll be like, get away from me, don't do that. <laughs> if you'd actually wash their feet, if you do that, if you're married, just do that. It's just, and, and as you do this, say, I want you to know how much I value. I want you to, and maybe you need to apologize for something. That's a way, I'm telling you, that's a way better apology than I'm sorry. That will go a long way to just do that. And so maybe that's just a practical thing. I know it seems like a small thing, but it's an act of love. It's an act of service. Maybe for some of you, just someone in this church or in this church family, just someone right under your nose that maybe you don't know them that well, but there's a need that you're aware of. Or as you're getting to know them, you're saying, I wonder what need they have. How could I help them? It's just something right in front of us, right in front of our nose that John says, hey, your brothers and sisters in a family care for one another. Maybe it's a meal, maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's a visit, maybe it's a coffee. Maybe it's a follow-up saying, hey, you seem like something was not okay on Sunday. Are you okay? It's a love, it's an act of service. And then maybe for others, there's people in this own community who you have hurt or, have, or you've been hurt by, because that happens in family all the time. And maybe this is about an act of grace or service towards someone who has actually hurt you. Think about Jesus washing the feet. 11 pairs of those feet were going to run away. And the 12th one was on his way to betray him. And he knew it. He had told them, actually, all of you will fall away. And they had said, no, 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 we won't. He's washing their feet. Was it going through his mind? You're going to use these feet to leave me. You're going to use these feet to go and betray me. Jesus knew, and he still served them. What does it look like to take a step, an act of grace, an act of service, an act of love towards someone who has even hurt you? So I'll leave that with you. Maybe if you're not sure, just say, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live as you lived? How do you want me to love as you loved? Forget my grandiose ideas of what I'll do someday, one day, and how I'm going to fix this and that in the world. Who's right in front of my nose? that I can serve. You know, love in that sense is a very practical thing. It is far actually higher, if I can say this, than feelings, than sentiment. In fact, love is an action word, and sometimes we need to actually act before the feelings of grace and love come. Maybe for some of you, the very thing that is going to unleash more of the love of God in your life is an act of service towards someone else. I was just thinking about that. I was thinking about the story of Corey Ten Boom that Nikki Gumbel tells in the Alpha Course about an act of grace that unleashed the love of God in her life. She was someone who was in the concentration camps who hid Jews during the war in World War II. And I want you to just watch Nikki and then her just tell a little bit of her story and listen for how the act of love unleashed the love of God in her life. One of my great heroes is Corrie ten Boom. She's a Dutch Christian who hid Jews during the war. She was caught and Corrie and her sister and her father went to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her father and her sister Betsy died there. She's an amazing woman and after the war she went and spoke to others about forgiveness. She was speaking in a church in Germany one time and at the end of her talk she recognized the man coming up to her and she could see it was one of the most cruel guards from Ravensbrück. She pictured him as he was then. And as he came up to her, he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrück. He didn't recognize her, but she knew, she recognized him. 
She could see him and she remembered walking naked past him. She said she felt so cold and so angry. He said, I've become a Christian now. I know I did some very cruel things, but I've received God's forgiveness for the cruelties I've done. And I ask God's grace for an opportunity to ask one of my very victims for forgiveness. Fraulein Tamboom, won't you be forgiven? Will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who has given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. One of my great... I've asked Tony if he would just come and say a prayer over us this morning. For those of us that maybe in our marriage or in our family need to begin to take the role of a servant more or need to take it back because that's drifted. Or maybe some of you just need to take that role more in this church in terms of what, what it looks like to love each other. And maybe there are some in our lives where we know there is unforgiveness, where there's a wall. Or maybe we've said we forgive, but we still are finding it hard to experience the love of God. Tony's just going to pray that wherever you are in that, you would be able to take a step that would open the door for the love of God to come into your life more. Would you pray with me? We call you loving God because that's who you are. You're the one who is love, who defines love for us, who shows us and demonstrates to us what love is. And so we come before you, God. We've opened our ears to hear your word, which we believe speaks life into our hearts. We want to open our hearts to you to say, Lord God, God of love, one who's given us the person who defines what love is, Jesus himself. Show us what that looks like. So we confess to you, we, we, we know that you know uh, who we are and what we do when we are left to our own devices. We operate out of the system of this world because there is this natural gravitational pull in all of us toward lust, toward loving ourselves first. And so... Loving God, we just confess that to you. The thing that we all know is true about ourselves and about one another, and you certainly know too. There are a million and one ways every day that we operate out of a posture of lust, forgetting the dignity and value of the people around us, 
using them as objects for our own satisfaction as opposed to objects of our love. Our eyes lust, our flesh lusts, the pride of our own lives puts ourselves first above, over, above, over and above others. That happens in our families, it happens in our marriages, it happens with our children and our parents, with our colleagues and co-workers, with people that we meet even in, the, like, in simple transactions, at the grocery store, at the gas station, as we walk past the street. Our, our MO naturally is always toward ourselves first. Your MO naturally, because of who you are, is always toward the other, is always toward us. The scriptures tell us God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we still operated, while we still operate out of the ways of this world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Jesus, since you are the very demonstration of God's love to us, we say, show us yourself more. We need to see you because we cannot conjure up the kind of love that you have brought to us on our own. We need over and over and over again to be washed, to, 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 to experience the great love of God poured out over us. So we, we cry out to you and we say, Jesus, like wash our feet. That we could be so bold to ask that, that you would do this amazing gift of dignity, of service, of love by washing our feet, by reminding us of how gracious, patient, good you are to us. So that we can know that the kind of love you ask us to live out is not something that you yourself are not willing to do but you have done it for us in dying and rising again on the cross. And you continue to pour your goodness out to us through your Holy Spirit. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to just show us how Jesus has and is and will continue to be the one who washes our feet. And as we learn of you in that way, Jesus, um, we ask you to show us how you want us to be people who love and serve and wash the feet of others, whether that's literally, whether that's in acts of service and care and dignity to others around us, whether that's acts of patience and forgiveness to those who are near to us, to those who are far to us, from us. And so we just invite you to speak like the specifics of how you want that to work out in our lives. Like we ask that you put a name or a face or a relationship, put a specific act of service or word of forgiveness into our minds and hearts, Jesus. Um, so that like you can be one who lights our path forward in this, what we are meant to do, how we are meant to be and live and respond. Thank you that you don't just blurt out commands but you give your presence and power walk with us in all that you're calling us to do and be because you are that just that loving and so jesus be with us and go with us as your people so that your love and goodness can be made known through the acts that you call us to do you are you are with us and through all of this 
Lord, and we thank you that you are that kind of God. And so we worship you this morning as we respond to your great love for us.